Our rock, the only solid ground The nations rise and fall Kingdoms once strong now shaking We trust forever in your name Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you. 
Y'all have good-looking faces today. Give yourself a pat on the back, yeah. Hey, welcome to Watershed. We're so glad to see you. Uh, we're here about the freedom, friendship, and rest that we can find in Jesus Christ. When we gather as a community, we can experience all those things. Freedom from sin, friendship with other believers, and rest because Christ has done everything on our behalf for us. So we can live in the kingdom here and now. Hey, would you just stand uh, and greet the people around you? I'm just curious, like, were you one of those people that was at the Thanksgiving dinner table talking about, like, politics and religion? Or is that your uncle? Like, because that wasn't me, that was somebody else, right? What'd you do for Thanksgiving? Was it fun? Was it a good time? Was it awkward? Did you have to see people that were, like, weird? Well, today is the first day we celebrate Advent. You might have heard that word before if you've been in the church world before. But Advent comes from the Latin word, which means arrival or coming. And it's the season in the church calendar where we think about the arrival of Jesus. We think about how 2,000 years ago, our God came in human form, right? He came down as a baby at the nativity, uh, Jesus, the baby Jesus at, at the nativity. But it's also a time, Advent is a time for us to look forward, not just to look back, you know, for a need for a savior, the Hebrew prophecies, you know, the people waiting, Israel waiting for this, this promised Messiah, this promised anointed one that would come, but also a time for us to look forward to Jesus' second coming. He's coming again. That's the promise that we have in our scriptures. And so this is a season for us to think both back to the promises that have been fulfilled and the ones that are yet to be fulfilled that we can count on, that we can have our hope in and have faith in. So today we're going to be lighting some Advent calendar, uh, candles here. Um, you know, scripture says nobody knows the day or time that Christ is coming, but it says prepare him room, prepare your hearts, prepare for his coming, because nobody knows when, but he's coming. So during Advent, we light candles to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world, that he stepped down into the darkness, and that the true light was entering the world. The prophet Isaiah speaks to this at a time in Israel's story when things were just going really rough for them, and they needed some hope. Um, and this is, I think, hope for us today, too. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. This comes from Isaiah 7. In this Advent season, we can be people of hope. We can be people of hope because Emmanuel means God with us. We have Christ who has come and will come again. So we're going to sing about that today. We've got a new song for us. It's called Hope Has a Name, and it's a reminder that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. So let's, uh, let's learn this song together, and when you kind of get it, sing along with us, all right? Breaking through the silence 
with glory in the highest the hope of all creation resting in his mother's arms a song on the horizon ringing through the heavens the long-awaited savior come to set the captives free come to set the captives free come to set us free Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to sing about the hope we have in him today, the living hope we have in Jesus, who has come, taken the cross, and raised from the dead to give us new life in him. Let's sing. 
One day, King David was walking around the roof of his palace and saw a woman bathing in her home. Her name was Bathsheba, the wife of a soldier named Uriah, who was off fighting in the war. David thought she was beautiful and sent his messengers to get her. They brought her to him and David and Bathsheba slept with one another. Shortly after, Bathsheba sent word to David that she was pregnant with David's child. To hide what he had done, David quickly devised a plan. He called Uriah back from the war, hoping that he would sleep with Bathsheba and it would look like he had gotten her pregnant. But when Uriah came home, he slept on a mat outside his house because he didn't want to disrespect his fellow soldiers still at war by living comfortably while he was at home. So David came up with another plan. He sent Uriah back to the battlefield and instructed the commander to put Uriah on the front lines of battle where he was most likely to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Shortly after, David married Bathsheba and she gave birth to their son. But God was unhappy with David and sent Nathan to tell him a story. There were two men, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb who was like a child to him. Now a guest comes to the home of the rich man. But instead of taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal, the rich man steals the poor man's one sheep and kills it. David was furious. This man must die for what he has done, David said. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David immediately realized how wrong he had been and confessed to Nathan and to God all of the things he had done. Even though God forgave David, there were still terrible consequences because of his actions. David and Bathsheba's infant son became sick and died. Then, years later, their second son, Absalom, did something no one, even David, expected. He gathered an army together to overthrow his father as king. Before the battle began, David gave instructions to his soldiers not to kill Absalom. But during the battle, Absalom was riding a mule under the thick branches of a large oak tree and his hair got caught in the tree, leaving him hanging as the mule rode away. One of David's commanders, Joab, found Absalom. And despite David's instructions, he and his soldiers drove their spears through Absalom and killed him. Because of this, David was heartbroken, wishing that it had been him who died instead of his son. Even after these tragedies, David continued to worship God. He had not forgotten about God's promise to one day build the temple. So David told his son, Solomon, that he was to start building it. In his final days as king, David led the Israelites in worship of God for all of the ways that God had helped them and provided for them over the years. Then, shortly before his death, David handed over his kingship to Solomon. through fifth grade to come up here so I can pray for you before we dismiss.
Lord, thank you for all of these beautiful children around me today. Thank you that they could come here to grow closer to you and learn more about you and help them to have open eyes and open ears and hearts in class today. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Well, good morning to everybody. Good to see you this morning. I am uh, Pastor Aaron. If you don't know me, I'm the campus pastor here at Watershed, uh, part of our three communities, worshiping communities here at Heart of Wyke. So, uh, man, John, I'm a little hot in the room. Can you bring me down a shade, a skosh? Otherwise, I'm going to get really loud later. No. <laughs> um, last week, I mentioned a couple opportunities. We've been talking, um, before we dive into the message, a little about this season of Thanksgiving, of Christmas, is a time of generosity um, in our lives. And, and uh, just to, you can see up here, tomorrow's our last day for collection for the Neighbors Plus Pantry for our brother's house, our sister's house. I um, want to say thank you again. There were lots of bags that came in prior to Thanksgiving, bags that were coming in last week. Um, if you still want to, uh, if you can bring those in by tomorrow, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, they're going to start delivering those this week and start restocking the pantry. Um, the next thing, too, that we've talked about is our Hope Christmas store, an opportunity to buy gifts so that families can get gifts for their kids who don't necessarily have the means to be able to do that. Um, our last day for that is the 30th to turn things in. If you're still interested, there's a tiny little tree at the Welcome Center desk here, like when you walk in, that big brown wood desk thing. I don't know, kiosk. There you go. There's a more technical term. Uh, there's a, a Christmas tree there if you're interested in providing some gifts uh, for families it's a great way to do that. Last week, we talked about Mika's lunch as well as an opportunity to give to brothers and sisters in the DR, help provide meals. Um, go to mikaslunch.org is a great way to connect with them. So opportunities, but, but before I go anywhere else uh, this morning, we'll get into this one in just a second. Rich, you jumped ahead on me, man. Come on. <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you because the reality is all of the ministries that take place in and through Heart Alike happen because of your tithes, your giving to our community, um, and your commitment to the local church here. So as your pastor here at Watershed and as a representative of Heart Alike, I want to say thank you. Um, this season for any nonprofit is a, is a time where people do a lot of asking. Um, but I want to say today just thank you. And it's not just your tithes your finances that you give that make things happen. At Watershed alone, we have over 100 volunteers. Let me say that again. We have over 100 volunteers who give their time and abilities, whether it's bacon goods, whether it's um, poor Rich, who I'm throwing under the bus. Sorry, Rich. <laughs> It's playing in the band. It's greeting you. It's doing things behind the scenes that you'll never imagine or ask. It's picking up donuts so that we can have donuts early on Sunday morning or even in the holiday later on Saturday. Uh, it's serving in children's ministries, people that you're, you're rarely ever going to see. But man, we can't be a community together if it isn't for the all-hands-on-deck mentality of us being in it together. So again, I just want to say thank you. Um, I know we're expressing a desire to cultivate generosity. And there is a joy in giving because we get to participate in what God does for us. He gives to us. He provides for us. 
But man, if you don't hear me say thank you, then I've failed. Because you are a gift. And to be in community together with you, for you to be able to use your gifts, for me to be able to be allowed to use mine, uh, is truly a gift of God. So I appreciate you. Love you all this morning. And thank you. Uh, So if you will, let's pray one more time uh, before we dive into uh, the scripture text. God, we thank you. You are the giver of all good things. You're the giver of the very breath we breathe today. You're the giver of um, our jobs, our sustenance. You're the giver of the whole of our lives. Lord, I confess that I, I oftentimes think my life comes at my blood, sweat, and tears. But the reality is, My life is yours. Our lives are yours. And they are a gift. Father, thank you. Help us to continue to see that all of life is a gift. All of what we have is your gift to us. Maybe it is the energy we have to put into our the daily grind, our our work that you've called us to. Maybe it is the spirit in us that desires to be kind and gracious and compassionate. Lord, whatever it is, Father, our lives are a gift, so thank you. Lord, as we come to hear your word this morning, Father, as always for me, my prayer is that you speak, you use me. Lord, I can't do this without you. So Lord, get rid of any words that are not yours this morning. May your words speak. May your scriptures teach us and lead us. May your story, the story of Jesus, continue to be the story of our lives. And this morning, may it bring hope to us. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move in our hearts. Encourage our spirits. Enliven us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So our Advent series, oh, you know what, I better get to pause. Man, you know, now that one's on me. Uh, I did want to make sure sure that you knew on Wednesdays at 445, as you can read, uh, throughout Advent, Pastor Darwin's going to lead just a very short word and table uh, worship gathering. So midweek, if you want to focus your hearts and your minds on Jesus, come at 445. There won't, like, it's, we're talking meditation We're not talking Aaron message Sunday morning, okay? Uh, No, it'll be just a few-minute meditation from Darwin, and then um, we'll share in the Word. So if you need a a break throughout the week, a a reset, um, come join us for pause. It's Wednesday night. Now, back to (laughs) the message. We're continuing in our Advent series. We started actually last week, and, and we're focused on a king coming. We're picking up in our story, uh, in our journey through the Bible, uh, in David's line. And and for a couple weeks, we'll we'll stay in David's line. We'll take a break from this story. But we're still in the story. And and in David's journey today, we heard in particular the story of him and Bathsheba. This is a really important story for us, just in light of last week, because we saw, man, here's this hero of the faith, right? Here's this man after God's own heart, a shepherd of God's people, right? And we think, wow, we put him up on the pedestal. He can do no wrong. And then Bathsheba happens, right? And we come back to earth. There's a reality. Sin happens in David's life. We watched some of that story in the video 
But I want to talk about sin this morning because as we start Advent, we think about why do we need hope? Well, the answer is because we have sin in our lives. And I'm not talking about sin from, I think, our cultural definition because culture defines sin more about what is appropriate or inappropriate for culture. And so if you don't do what culture says is wrong, then you're a good person. Amen? Right? If you kind of just do things the way culture says, then you're a good person. So why do you need Jesus? Right? You don't. And then if you don't do what, or you do do what, if you do do what culture says is wrong, is there forgiveness? Is there grace? No. You're out. You're done. You're canceled. So sin, by cultural definition, is you're, you're pretty much either a good person because you, you stick to the cultural norms or you do wrong and, and you've done wrong and you're no longer a part. My question for us, though, is this. Is that really the biblical definition of sin? No, it's not. The Bible defines sin as missing the mark. But which mark? Is it culture's mark? No, it's God's mark. It defines sin as a catastrophic breaking, fracturing of creation itself. That's unavoidable. It's something we cannot rescue ourselves from. It affects our lives. It doesn't just impact us. It affects us. So we need a rescue from sin. Not only do we miss the mark, but sometimes we do it on purpose. <laughs> right? How many of you have known the line and crossed it willingly, knowingly? Eh? Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody raise your hands. Come on. <laughs> but sin is always categorized by God. And in relationship with him, sin fractured that relationship really has nothing to do with cultural norms or standards because those ebb and flow. Sin, much like it did Adam and Eve, affects us in the fact that we go, hey, I'm going to run my life the way I want to, whether you like it or not. goes all the way back to the beginning. That fracturing exists. And we do it that way in particular because sin, oftentimes we want to make life easy, right? I want to be good. How many of you want to be good? Yeah? I want to be good. But here's the thing. Oftentimes the things that we think are good, maybe beautiful, can be sin. Paul David Tripp, uh, he's an author, pastor. We've read a book um, in leadership that he's written. We're, we're actually going through another one is starting pretty soon. But nonetheless, he writes this, that sin doesn't always look sinful to us. Doesn't always look sinful. Doesn't always look wrong. Doesn't always look like we're missing the mark. Sometimes it looks beautiful. And I think that actually relates to the story of David and Bathsheba. Doesn't look wrong. The king can have whatever he wants. And here's this beautiful woman. Catches his eye. Looks beautiful. But this is why we need grace to see sin for what it really is. Right? If it actually impacts all of our life, if it actually fractures life, if it actually separates us from God, we need the grace of God to see what sin really is. Dark, dangerous, enslaving, and destructive. 
sin. David, a man after God's own heart, one night, we heard that again in the video, this story comes from 2 Samuel 11 and 12. He's, it, it's, the scripture tells us that at a time when kings go to war, Last week's story, we saw Saul actually on the battlefield. He just wouldn't step up. David steps up. Now we have, in David's greatest failing, a time when kings go to war, where is David sitting? At home. Mistake number one. Is he out there leading God's people, shepherding them? No. He's at home. And as evening was coming on, he's walking around the roof of the palace and he, he sees Bathsheba off of that roof and, and she's cleansing herself and the ritual cleansing that's necessary. Ladies, during the day, once a month, you know what I'm talking about, you needed to go through cleansing rituals. And so that's why she was on the roof of her house. Sometimes we like to set up Bathsheba because, again, we like to make sin look easy and pretty and, and simple for us. We don't like to see it as deceptive or, or, or dark, as Paul David Tripp says. No, she's actually doing the right thing by their standards, by the law. She's cleansing herself. And David sees her, and she's beautiful, so he calls for her. Sends servants, brings her to his house. Literally, this would be the equivalent of rape. Lays with her. Sends her home. And in turn, once she finds out that, guess what? She's pregnant. Sends word to David. And David does what most of us do when we find out that we've screwed up. He came clean. No. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> He decided to call Uriah, her husband, Uriah the Hittite, right? So not even an Israelite, but Uriah the Hittite off the battlefield to have him come home. And over a series of a couple tries, tries to get him to go home and lay with his wife. So, hey, guess what? If he'll sleep with her, then cool, I'm off. But at one point in time, even when David got Uriah drunk, he still wouldn't go home. So Uriah the Hittite was even more righteous than David drunk. Sheesh. Doesn't go home, and so he sends what? He sends Uriah back. The story goes, he sends him back to the battlefield with actually a letter. He's carrying a death sentence for himself, a letter that says, put him at, hey, hey, Joab, put him at the front of the line where the, where the fighting is the worst, and when it gets really bad, I want you all to pull back so he's left alone. So he dies. And that's exactly what happened. Next picture I have up is when Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David. David was so deep in it, and that, that's what happens sometimes in our sin. We're so deep in it, whether we realize it or don't. Right? That's the insidiousness of sin. We don't always realize that what it is that breaks us, that fractures our relationship with God and with others, is actually sin. Sometimes, remember, it looks beautiful. He doesn't realize it. Nathan tells him a story. And through this story of stealing the best of what somebody had out of the little they had, David just burns and fumes with anger. And finally Nathan says, yeah, you're the man who did it. And David's heart breaks. Now in this, he takes Bathsheba to live with him. The consequence of his sin is not only that Uriah has died, but now their child that is born dies within a week. Someone who 
didn't deserve any of the penalty. Deserve nothing. An innocent life. Another innocent life. Uriah's innocent. This child's innocent. Bathsheba was innocent. And all sin did was break, fracture, hurt, and wound. And it wounded David. This morning, our scripture I want to focus in on is actually a psalm. And as we see at the very beginning in the header of the psalm, it says, for the director of music, this was to last. David didn't want this psalm to be hidden. He wanted as much his worst moment to be for us as much as, as, much as his best moments were. This song, this prayer of David, when prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Right? The scripture wanted to remind us that this was the setting. His greatest failing wants us to see. Why? Because I believe there's hope in it. Verse 1 of the psalm, we read this. Have mercy on me, O God. Lord, hold back what I deserve. That's what mercy means. Please don't hand out what I deserve. For as much death came from David, saying, David saying, Lord, have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you still desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. So cleanse me with hyssop. I'll be clean. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me, God, a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord. My mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burn offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is David's psalm, his song, and our prayer. Amen. What's the first thing that David does in this prayer? 
Folks, there's a lot of wrongs in this passage that you can flush out, but Scripture actually doesn't concern itself with all those other questions. I wish it would. It'd be nice to, to dive in. Scripture concerns itself with the failings of the king, his mistake, and if there would be ever hope. And so this morning, as we think about that, I, I want us to, to think about as much as we have a heart for God, is it possible to be restored? Because that's what David's life, that's the question he really answers for us today. Is it possible for you and I, even if we, we want to follow God, we know we make mistakes, we know that there's a fracturing, we know that there are things we can't overcome to bring ourselves back to God, is there any hope for us? Right? And in David, I would say this morning, yes, absolutely. We got to see in the video even a king who continued to lead his people in praise. We saw a king who would, with Bathsheba, have another child, Solomon. I got to correct the video. They said Absalom was the second child. No, it was David's third child, and Absalom wasn't the child of Bathsheba. Again, different context, multiple wives. We'll leave that alone. But the story for us is, is it possible for us to come back, to be restored? Well, the first thing that I see in this psalm is that David takes, recognizes and takes responsibility his sin. To take responsibility for our mistakes, our failings. Do we? Or do we try to justify them? Do we try to gloss them over? Do we try to say, hey, listen, you know what? Culture, pfft, it says it's okay, so it must be okay. I'm going to try to figure out a way for the scripture to say something different. Or when confronted with the brokenness, do we actually just recognize it and take responsibility? Because David's song is one where he says, I did it. It's my sin, my iniquity. The bloodshed is on my hands. And what does he say? Against you, Lord, you alone I've sinned. Now, has he sinned against Uriah? Absolutely. Has he sinned against Bathsheba? Absolutely. Has he sinned and his sin caused the death of his child with Bathsheba? Absolutely. But what he's saying there when he says, against you only have I sinned, is he recognizes that all sin is a fracturing of relationship with God. And when that gets fractured, everything else gets messed up. It's like taking your spare tire, right? You get a flat tire on your vehicle and you take your spare tire and throw it in the back of the truck. Yeehaw! You going anywhere? Nope. <laughs> you better take the spare tire and put it where the other one is. It's got to go on the hub, right? It's got to get bolted on into the right place for you to get going in the right way. David recognizes that all sin is a fracturing and a brokenness between God and I. Whether or not I did it, whether or not it happened to me, whether or not it's just inherent in life, all sin affects our relationship with God. And he says, it's my fault. If we're going to have any hope, we actually have to look in the mirror. You and I, we've got to own our junk. David does. But in owning his junk and in owning ours, what does he lean into? 
Does he lean into his ability to, to not do it again? Does he lean into the, you know what, if I just uh, say I'm sorry enough times, <laughs> kind of like the prodigal son, if you've heard that, that parable where the, the one son, you know, the righteous son stays home, the, the, the self-centered son goes off, and, and once everything fails, he goes, if I, could just, if I could just come back and be my father's slave, you know what, if I could just apologize, then it, I don't even need to be his son anymore, but man, his, his servants, they're better off than I am if, if I could just. And the parable comes back, and what happens? A father runs to his son and says, nothing, it's not about if you could just. It has everything to do with me. David relies on the mercy of God. Right? He, he relies on God's renewal, God's restoration. Create in me a clean heart. That word create in Hebrew goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation itself, when God created out of nothing. As JB, Bill, and I were talking this morning or this week about the text, it was something that Bill highlighted was that word barah, where, where God creates. Is, is, is the same thing here, that David is leaning into something only God can do. God, I need you to renew because only you can renew. I need you to restore because only you can restore. No matter what I do, I can't make it better. And I don't know about you, that's a hard thing when it comes to my sin. When it's come to my failings. We can apologize, we can say we're sorry, but the reality is if we've hurt someone, we need something much bigger than us to heal it, don't we? We need a power much bigger than our asking for forgiveness. We, needing, we need something more to heal. We need a power to help us get through our shame. I failed, so I must be wrong. We needed something more to get us past the guilt the pain, the regret. Amen? And what does David do? While he recognizes his own mistakes, he says, you know what? At the end of the day, I am going to lean into the love, the mercy, the grace of God. According to your unfailing love, according to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. God, against you I've sinned, yes, but Lord, I need you to forgive, to restore, to bring life. The beauty of David's story is we see a restoration. We see that life is possible. Why? Because he did better? No, because of God's goodness and his grace. As we started worship today, Drew invited us into the freedom that we have in Jesus. And that's why those words mean so much here for us. At Watershed, we believe in the freedom, the friendship, the rest that's found in the finished work of Jesus. Because folks, we can't be restored to God. I can't get beyond my failings if it isn't for the grace of Jesus already gifted to me and to you. The kindness, his love, his mercy, his ability to restore. And the good news is he does. So then what is David's response in all of this? 
right? It's a God-honoring response. He says, so that my lips can praise you, so that I can teach transgressors, other people, your ways. I want to help people see you. He even prays that God would accept their sacrifices because he understands that our sin doesn't just affect us and impact us. Our sin impacts others. Just like David's sin impacted Uriah and Bathsheba, an unborn child. Our sin, whether we like it or not, in our very individualized world, does have an impact. And he says, God, don't let it impact them. Let them be free from my mistake. Take delight. But Lord, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to praise you. He's going to get back to what it was that his heart was centered on when he fought Goliath. He's going to get back to the God who, who rescued him from, from the Philistines multiple times, from his own son Absalom. You want to talk about some more impact. David, David would have a son, Amnon, and he would then go on to, to, to rape his sister-in-law. Nathan says, hey, listen, more of what this, this mess is. And, and David doesn't know how to step into it because he himself has fallen into sexual sin. And that gives Absalom, he, he gets really ticked off about that, so he goes off and he sleeps with all of David's servants on the, on the roof of, 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 the, of the kingdom. He does it all in public, which, ay ay right? But see, it rolls on and it rolls on and it rolls on. And David, even when his son was hanging in a tree by his hair, murdered by his first officer who wouldn't listen to his command to save him, weeps over him. Because he knows that that brokenness isn't the way it's supposed to be. He wants to be different. He takes responsibility. He leans into God's goodness, God's, re God's renewal, God's restoration. And he wants to be different. Folks, is there hope? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so like I said last week with David and Goliath, it's not just a story of David and Goliath, but even a story of David and Saul. We see a good shepherd who would come, who would bring a rescue, Jesus. We can lean into the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God today because this is what we hear. And I want you just to hear these words. It's from 1 John, starting in chapter 1. John writes this about Jesus. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. What do we light candles for? To be reminded, as we were reminded this morning, that Jesus is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let me read that again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He is faithful. Not we are faithful. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word isn't in us. John writes, my dear children, I write this to you 
so that you won't sin. Right? The heart for us, the desire of God, for, yeah, that we don't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Is there hope? You better believe it. Is that hope in you? No. It's in Christ. I don't know about you, but this is really scandalous grace. The fact that God, ahead of our lives, would announce the forgiveness of our sins. Think about that for a minute. That God, before we ever even took a breath, would announce that for every failing, every fracturing, every stupid mistake done on purpose, for every stupid mistake (laughs) that was done by pure accident, for every miss, he would forgive it all. Scandalous. And yet in that, I don't know about you, but when I look at myself in the mirror, when I take responsibility for the junk in my lives, the thing, my life, the things that I do and I don't want to do and I don't do and I do want to do, that's Romans 7, by the way. I grow in gratitude. I grow in reliance. I understand what David is saying. Lord, help me. I need you. I need you. Sin is more than just a cultural nicety. It's fracturing. But by God's grace, there is a restoration and a renewal in Christ Jesus. And as 1 John reminds us, it's for the whole world. It's not just for some of us. It's for all of us. Out of his love and his mercy. Let's pray. God, again, we say thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, help us this morning to be able to take responsibility for our mistakes, our missteps, our sin. Help us to be able to recognize the brokenness, the darkness. Give us the grace to see sin for what it is. Even though it may be beautiful, may feel right. Lord, if it's sin, may we see it. And give us the courage to come clean, to come to you, to recognize, God, when we fail, it's, it's more than just failing against someone else or, or something else. And while that is all important, God, it is a failing in you. It is completely recentering our lives on something else. We worship the creation rather than the creator. And so, Lord, as we focus our eyes on you, as we lean into your restoration and renewal, God, heal, restore us. Do what only you can do, because we need you. Father, and as David prayed, help us then. Help us to be able to, to get up, to, to 
get back on our feet. Help us to keep on walking, keep on living, not in fear, but in your grace. Lord, empower our spirit. Encourage our hearts. Father, again, we need hope. We need your life. So God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. You get an opportunity to respond today, so we invite you to stand with us. I'm encouraged that, you know, when David saw what he had done, he was able to sing a song. He was able to lift up a song of, of praise and uh, of seeking God's mercy. And we can do that today, too, just like the scripture says. Uh, we can boldly come before the throne of grace, and we can do that today. We can lift up a song, let it rise to, to Christ today. So... Um, every one of us, I think, if we examine our hearts, we know we, need, we know we need to confess. We know we need to come to God. We know we need to align with him. So this is just a song to, for this morning for us just to use for that exact purpose, to come to him. So let's sing this together. Lord, I need you.
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. You and I have a healing. We have a freedom in Jesus. Good news? Yeah? Amen? All right. As you go this week, be reminded again of this blessing that we have in Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you, and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen.